0: The reading can be found in the book of Isaiah chapter six, which you can find on page 691 in the church Bibles. Isaiah chapter six, beginning to read at the first verse. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And I said, here am I, send me. He said, go and tell this people, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving, make the heart of this people callous, make their ears dull and close their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, for how long, Lord? And he answered, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken, and though a tenth remain in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and the oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Good morning. It's great to see you this morning. Uh, Just before we begin to look at our passage this morning, I wanted to say a thank you for those of you who are regulars here. I just wanted to say thank you for your prayers over the last week uh, for Joe and myself and the family as we had Joe's mum's funeral. We really appreciate that. We're very thankful to you for your your prayers for us and really grateful. I think I would also say... um, the last two weeks, I've had the privilege of being involved in the funerals of two godly women, faithful women, and actually in, in a, w- a way that no other thing does, a funeral does bring to mind what's really important in life. And actually, it's a real privilege to do that, for me to play my part, I just play a part but actually to understand whether we've got our priorities right and we've got our our things right. So I've had that privilege. It's great to celebrate with family and friends, but also to weep together. A church is a unique place in which we can celebrate and weep together, and that's because of Jesus. And we need to be comfortable with that, that we don't live without hope. So thank you on, on Joe's behalf and on my behalf too. And also for Margaret's Margaret Jars's life, who we celebrated. So it's a privilege to be part of that on Friday here too, and lovely to see as well this morning. Um, The other thing I'd just quickly like to say is: anybody here feel equipped, able to want to preach on holiness this morning? (laughs) If you'd like to, you feel you're up to it. The Bible's here. Quite happy to let one of you have a go. Okay, well, then it's me then, isn't it? Well, it looks it. Okay, let's pray. God of grace, would you come to us afresh? Will we behold the beauty of your home? That's afresh this morning. Give us a bigger vision of you. Ask, I cry that you would reveal yourself as the holy God to us this morning. And Father, I know as I stand here that I'm in need of that as much as everybody else who sat here. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you have your Bibles in front of you, uh, we're going to have a look at this passage. Uh, for those of you a little bit disappointed, I had a chat to Maureen before she was you know, wasn't looking forward to reading the last bit of Isaiah six that she read, so I won't get too far into that, but I'll mention that at the end. But basically we're looking at verses one to eight. As Nicholas said, we're looking at over this summer period some of the different characteristics of God and attribute of God over this summer series. And it's my experience, and it's also many, many Christians' experience, that a mature Christian, a Christian who would call themselves mature, will be able to enter and to face any of the circumstances that life can bring it to you, and will be able to say something like this. You know, I don't know the specific reason why I'm going through this suffering at the minute, why I've got this marriage problem that I currently have or my work is in pieces, or I'm going through all these health issues that seem to consume me. But I do know that in all those circumstances, that one of the most basic and simple purposes in life is that I get the opportunity to get to know God better and to become more like him. When you go through the Bible, what you will see is that as God reveals himself through scripture, God doesn't just say, I am Jehovah, I am the Lord. God doesn't just reveal himself in that way. He reveals for various aspects of who he is too. For example, when Abraham is about, uh, to, thinks he's about to lose his son Isaac, God appears and says, I am Jehovah. Jehovah-Jireh, I will always provide. God appears to the children of Israel when they're about to die of thirst, and he he heals a polluted lake, and he says, I am Jehovah-Rapha, I am the one who heals you. He appears to the children of Israel when they're about to fight against an overwhelming force that seems to come against them. They're fearful of their lives and think they're going to die against a force of nature against them. And he says, I am Jehovah Nissi. I am your banner. I am your victory. A mature Christian can look at the circumstances of their life and can say, in that period of time... God was revealing more of himself to me, helping me to grasp the richness of who he is, the richness of God's excellency. Today we're looking at the topic of holiness, and there are four things about holiness in this passage I want us to look at. All four things are critical to understanding God's holiness, for God is holy. Holy. First of all, God's holiness overwhelms us. Secondly, God's holiness strips us of deception. Thirdly, God's holiness heals us by his grace. And then lastly, God's holiness renews our character. Four things. God's holiness overwhelms us. God's holiness strips us. God's holiness heals us. And God's holiness renews us. In the beginning... Isaiah comes into this place of the temple and he sees the Lord high and lifted up. What he sees as he comes, as he sees it is the glory of the Lord. The seraphs were were crying, holy, holy, holy. Some of you will know that in Hebrew, the magnitude of something is conveyed by the doubling or the repetition of a word. But nowhere, nowhere but in this part, in the Hebrew, in the Bible, is any quality tripled. That's how important this is. God isn't just holy. God isn't just holy, holy. God is holy, holy, holy. God is holy, holy, holy. Now what is holiness? The word holy means set apart, completely different. Hebrew scholars say that it also means God's infinitely unique um, superlativeness, his brilliance, his beauty. It means that when you see God's holiness, you realize that God is so superlative, so beautiful, so perfect, so absent from anything crooked or malign or distorted or broken. And to say it for for example, to make sense that when you say God's love is a holy love rather than just God is love, what you're saying God's love is so far beyond any other expression of love. So infinitely beyond, so superlative than anyone else's love. The seraphim are constantly calling. They're constantly singing the praises of the Holy One. What does that mean? In other words, the seraphim love God's holiness. The seraphim love God's holiness. They, they're overwhelmed. They're constantly uh, worshipping. They can't get enough of his holiness. They're adoring his holiness. They're overwhelmed as they worship God. As the scripture also talks about in the beauty of his holiness. What does this mean for us? What does this mean for us? Here's an illustration, hopefully, that'll help you understand what that means. So imagine that you're someone who grew up in a wealthy family and you have a lot of family money. Someone comes to you and says, I've met you, think you're an amazing person, Said so I'd like to marry you. So you get married. You get married? And then imagine as you're getting married and you've got married and that you're living together and things are going well, at some point, that same spouse comes to realize that the money that you have she can't get to, or he can't get to. They realize they can't get their hands on the money that you have, and so they decide to leave you because they can't get the money they thought they could get. How does that make you feel? How would that make you feel? Violated? Used? Just a means to an end? An object? You feel like you weren't loved for yourself, for who you are. I've talked to lots of people over the years, and there are lots of these people also in Bath who said, you know, I used to believe in God, or I used to go to church, you know, but God didn't come through for me. I asked God for this. He didn't give it to me. He's let me down. In other words, what you're saying with your relationship with God is, God has this amazing blessing account somewhere, and that you want to get your hands on it. But somehow, God won't let you get your hands on the blessing account that you think God has. In other words, you married God for the blessings account he has. You married God effectively as money god was an object to you the seraphim are adoring and serving god not on the basis of some cost benefit analysis not on the basis of what pays off in terms of power or approval or control or significance or whatever else security they're serving him because of who he is just because of how beautiful he is. A few years ago, I was talking to a lady and I said to her, how did you become a Christian? And she said, well, that's quite difficult to say. She said, do you mean when was the day I heard the message of Jesus Christ and for the first time and I really chose to believe it? Do you, is that what you mean? Or do you mean the day I realized that if God was who he said he was, my entire life was going to be turned upside down it was going to be completely changed i said i'd like to know about that day because that was the day you realized that god was a holy god in verse 4 in our passage it says the doorposts and the threshold shook at the sound of their voices these are not even people yet they're moved by and overwhelmed by the beauty and the wonder of the holiness of God, to be in the presence of such beauty and wonder. I wonder whether any of that experience has happened to you. I wonder whether you feel you need it. As frightened as it sounds, we need that revelation, that experience of the holiness of God, for God's holiness genuinely overwhelms us. Secondly, God's holiness strips us. When Isaiah hears and sees and grasps the holiness of God, in the old King James Version of the Bible, verse verse 5 says this, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Rudolf Otto, who is a, a German scholar, in the first part of the 20th century, wrote a book called The Idea of the Holy. And he said that all people, when they approach God, are torn by, ambivalence, uh, by ambivalent forces of both fascination and wonder at who God is, but also a fright. There's a fascination, but there's also a fright And that's the way it is in the presence of anything that's superlative, even when we meet superlative human beings. So, for example, if you go to a party, I don't know whether you go to many parties in Bath, but if you go into a party and the most stunning uh, man or woman is at this party, you go to this party, and you can't help but be both uh, encapsulated by how stunning they are, but also slightly threatened, by how stunning they are too. Or well, the most brilliant professor, the most brilliant mind, the most brilliant musician, the person that is on the, on the pedestal, who's just so extraordinary in them. There's an attraction, because they're so amazing, but also it's very threatening too. Why is it threatening? Because our averageness is revealed. We're showing that compared to that, how we stand and we're dismantled. We're dismantled by the brilliance of those we come across. Woe is me. Woe is me, says Isaiah. So for example, I know this happened many times, is that people grow up in different schools, for example, and they can be the top of the class in that school. And then they go, for example, to university or to London or to Oxford or Cambridge. And suddenly you realize that there's, a, there's just a huge number of people when I'm with someone who's genuinely brilliant, suddenly I recognize that I'm not quite what I thought I was. Remember here, Isaiah, as he writes this, was of the royal family. The Jewish tradition says his father was brother to the king. Therefore, he was a member of the elite. Isaiah is writing as a member of the elite. He's a man of artistic, intellectual, And communicative genius, he's a genius. If you, by the way, write a book 3,000 years ago and later people are still sitting around reading it, you would think of yourself as pretty clever, but he says, woe is me. In the presence of the holiness of God, he realized he's the problem and he's undone. So what's this thing to do with unclean lips? Why is he talking about unclean lips? And here's why. Isaiah is a prophet. Isaiah 6 is not, Isaiah's called to be a prophet. He's already a prophet. If you go back through Isaiah 1 to 5, you'll see he's already prophesying. What is a prophet? A prophet is a preacher. A prophet is a public communicator. A prophet is a speaker. So, for example, to a prophet... Your lips are what to a dancer, for example, your legs are, or what to a tennis player your arms are. In other words, these are the things that are your pride and your joy. These are the things that set you apart from other people. The holiness of God doesn't lead to Isaiah repenting of his sins. It leads him immediately to look at his strengths, his gift, and find that they're not strengths at all. This is just one of the key principles of Christianity. It's also one of the keys to life. The holiness of God just doesn't leave Isaiah to repent of his sins. Plenty of people repent of their sins. They recognize they do something wrong, and they say sorry without understanding anything of the gospel of Jesus. But the holiness of God brings Isaiah to repent of his righteousness, his best deeds, his pride and his joy. The thing he felt he does best. This explains why Isaiah feels he's falling apart. Now all of us here today will have something that makes us feel that we're okay in life. For Isaiah is with his lips as a prophet. All of us are different some of us, it may be our intelligence. Some of us, it may be our attractiveness or our smartness, our business savvy. Some of it, it may be our ability with people, your attractiveness, your cleverness, our family background that we came from. Some of you, it may be your professional skill. Everybody has something that says, Do you know, because of this, I'm an okay person. We're all like that. So what's going on here? A moral person's repenting, someone who's into morality rather than Christianity, repenting of their sins is always based on guilt, always based on inadequacy, always feeling crushed, always feeling like you're never, ever good enough. You'll never, ever hit the mark. But if you repent of your righteousness too, the only hope for us is complete salvation. The only hope is free grace The only hope is total forgiveness, and the only hope is complete and utter pardon. And that's what Jesus does for us. That's why Jesus came for us. And any vicar like me, or anybody who serves in the church, when we come into the presence of the holiness of God, our motives, the mixed motives that uh, we all recognize exist within us, come to the fore. I can so easily stand here and say, do you know what? I'm just preaching for the glory of God. I'm just preaching because I want to, you know, care for, for the people and because I love the people. While some of that's true, in the light of the holiness of God, in the light of the radiance and the beauty and the brilliance of God, some of our motives aren't as pure and as clean as we think. Our self-righteousness, the flaws, the distortion, our self-seeking, our desire to uplift myself or uplift others, actually is shown to be what it is. When we see, genuinely see the holiness of God, it strips us. We become honest before God as we come before him. We realize who we are and we see who he is. Thirdly, God's holiness heals us. God's holiness um, makes grace real to us. This is the good news. And some of you who are sat there feeling slightly uncomfortable are thinking it's about time too this morning. But Isaiah is coming apart. But out of the darkness, beyond all hope and reason, here comes a seraph with a coal from the altar. What's the altar? altar is the place where the sins are atoned for. It's a place where the blood is spilled. It's a place where sins are paid for. Isaiah Isaiah knew the altar was a place of sacrifice for sin. And that's the place of atonement, that's the place of forgiveness. As the coal hits Isaiah's lips, it's showing that God's grace becomes real and practical. God's grace burns away His forgiveness burns away our guilt, like cold iron burns each one of us. As a result, He now and He does, um, as a, as a result of that, He now heals Him, energizes Him, and changes Him. Isaiah experiences in that moment the healing, the forgiveness, and the cleansing of God. Now, this morning, I don't know how you feel about the grace of God, but if the grace of God is something you sort of shrug at, if you don't really know what the fuss is when people say, God loves me, then we haven't grasped God's holiness. A real holy God isn't the kind of God who's always demanding of us, some of which some of us were raised with. The demanding God you were raised with who says, you know, you have to obey You must do better. You can do it. But God never, ever, ever, ever seems to be satisfied. And we live with a constant sense of inadequacy and failure. Some of you may have been crushed by the image that you have of who God is like. But that's not a real holy God. The real holy God says, I know you can't obey. You can't even get close to doing the fullness of loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Even your righteousness, as one person puts it, is like a filthy rag. Don't, see, don't you see you'll never be liberated and understand my grace and mercy? And to, to see that you actually that's what you utterly need. A holy God doesn't show you your sin to make you feel bad about yourself. He shows you his sins to heal you, to cleanse you, to forgive you, to draw you closer to him, to reveal more of his grace to you, to set you free, to release you through his love and his grace. A truly holy God doesn't rub our noses in our flaws except to bring a coal to our lips and to heal us. One of the most beautiful experiences of the Christian life is the freedom of forgiveness and healing. If we're all knotted inside, if we know we're actually consumed by stuff, God's holiness gives us hope of healing today. On Friday night, uh, Hannah, my daughter, our daughter was at a musical performance um, at school, and I sat on a table with a couple I'd never met and one of their daughters. I was chatting to this chap, and you know, you get into conversation, and then the question turns. out, "What do you do?" I said, "Well, I'm a vicar." That's always an interesting uh, question to ask. See what the response is. Go silent for a while. Turn the topic to tennis and football and all these things. And then we have a conversation. He said, "Well, I'm not religious." So, but my daughter's interested in religion, philosophy, and ethics. And then we started to have a conversation about God and what he thought and why he thought. He said, but I'm not religious. And I said, so this, and then we carried on. And he just turned to me and said, but I know I need healing. I know I need healing. I know I've got stuff in my life I can't get rid of. And I need healing. We were able to have a little bit more conversation about where he might find that, but he was determined to say it wasn't religious, wasn't an in God. And I said, and then we carried on the conversation. And I said, I went, you know what, what are you planning to do for the summer? He said, well, I'm going. He said, I'm going to walk the Camino Trail. I said, are you, you're trying to tell me you're not religious? Do you understand what that trail is in northern Spain that people walk on? People long for healing. Let's forget not just on the outside, that sense of being free, of being healed, and forgiven. If there's anybody today who thinks that God is punishing you constantly, constantly trying to make you feel bad for the things, for your failures and your flaws, I'd like to suggest to you that the God you have in your mind is not the God of Scripture. Yes, it could be that you have got those flaws and those failures and those things going on in your life. Yes, that is a reality. But God's longing is to bring those flaws and to place a coal on your lips and to bring you healing and forgiveness. That's what God's grace is all about. setting you free, healing you, cleansing you. When the fire gets to Isaiah's mouth, instead of a fire-consuming Isaiah, he realized he was being cleaned. The word was a word of pardon. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin has been atoned for. We all need that. Then fourthly, God's holiness renews us. When the reality of God comes down into Isaiah's life, everything is rearranged, everything is re-engineered. All of the furniture is moved around. God says, I have a job for you. Isaiah says, here I am, send me. God says, wait a minute, I haven't written the job description yet. It's an incredibly difficult job as verses 9 onwards show. Isaiah is not called to something easy. But Isaiah in response to an encounter with a living holy God says, here am I, send me. What's happened to Isaiah you see that the heart, the liberation of his experience with the Holy God, he's no longer afraid, consumed by fear, or worried about being perceived as a failure. God sees him as he is, sees his failure, and receives him and accepts him as he is. Do you know how liberated you would be if you understood the holiness of God and the grace of God like that? You don't constantly live with a sense of unworthiness, that somehow God is constantly disappointed in you. Well, that liberation, that unworthiness, that liberation is called in the Bible, it's called personal holiness. You'll say, some will say, here is the holy God, what happens here, in whose presence the angels burn and smoke. The angels have to cover their faces, and yet God loves me. God loves me. If that God is for me, what do I need to be afraid of? It brings me courage. It brings me peace. This all happens in the year that King Uzziah died. What's so special about that? We see in verse 1 King Uzziah had reigned for 52 years. People were terrified. People were terrified. If you have a king ruling for 52 years and he dies, everybody's concerned and terrified about what the future brings. But God reveals himself to Isaiah, who's scared about the future and says, I want to show you, Isaiah, that I am the real king. I am the true king. Some of us today may be in the light of all that's happened, uh, all the world, the, kind of the state of the world, the state of our own lives. Be very fearful about your future. And probably more than anything, you need to look in the face of a holy God who says, I am your king. And in spite of my holiness, I receive you through my grace. Then you really can have courage, peace, and purity. Isaiah's experience means of that means he says, send me. Send me not with a list of 50,000 conditions. He says, send me. Let me me play my part in your saving, um, the saving of the world. Send me. Don't you see that's the kind of thing we need with God? The Bible says that Jesus Christ holds the whole universe together with the word of his power. It's the kind of, is it the kind of person you ask in your life to be an assistant to run your life? Where you want God to be available to you so God can do what you want or is your experience of a holy God such that we just grasp on his tell us and we say, Lord, send me. Some of you maybe sat here this morning and say, well, I thought Christianity was all about a God of love who just helped me with my self-esteem when I'm feeling a bit down and God would show me how much I love us. Friends, you will never be able to get to his love unless we also go through his holiness. If you go through his holiness, if you go to the altar, if you go to the temple, you'll see him and you'll come out changed. You'll come out transformed. You'll come out holy. And you'll say to God, send me. Let's pray. Lord, I pray this morning that you would reveal yourself afresh to us in the beauty of your holiness, that you would become more real to us. And Father, I pray particularly for any people this morning who are going through the uh, period of time in their life when their flaws are being shown up. They're being stripped away of some of the deceptions, some of the brokenness, some of the things of their life. That actually things are quite difficult. And Father, I pray that the the coal would touch their lips this morning. That we would find grace and healing from a God of love and a God of holiness. And many of us realize, Father, that we live with so many conditions in life. So many desire to fit everything into life that in in practice you come way down the list of, of what we want to do or how we live. We don't have the abandonment that Isaiah had, that tremendous liberation that Isaiah had, that here am I, send me heart. We don't have it because we've lost sight of your holiness and therefore of your grace. Would you renew us? By your Spirit, afresh we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. As we move towards our time of sharing together, the communion.